The Lionsgate portal is the cosmic phenomenon that happens between July the 26th and August 12th and culminates on the spiritually significant date of the 8th of August or the 8th of the 8th month of the Gregorian calendar. Of course, a whole conversation could be had about the notion that significant astrological transits are limited to the dates of a calendar that isn't universal. But that's not what we'll be doing today. Today we will be looking at what this phenomenon actually is, the lobes surrounding the stars and constellations involved, and how you can use astrology to aid you in this endeavour. Welcome to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. I'm Alexis, your new witchy BFF. I'm known as Asteria in Witchy Circles. I'm a photographer by day and start obsessed urban witch by night. Sometimes the opposite, often both at once. And I'm as star obsessed as Natsuki's Shinomiya in Utapri. Or just a warning, there would be loads of otaku references. I'm a Capricorn Sun, Scorpio Moon, and Scorpio Rising. Probably a Lyran Star Seed, a Tarot Lover, and all of my lipsticks have a spell on them. I started this podcast to share my passion and the empowerment and self-love that Cosmic Witchcraft brought into my life. Come every Thursday for captivating conversations about life, business and magic that blend the practical with the world and bring you all-out history geek solo episodes and amazing guests to explore the ways in which we can bring more enchantment into our lives. Ready to live life limitless? Then let's dive into today's episode. The Lionsgate portal is when the Sun, Sirius, the Earth and the Orion constellation are in, all in alignment with each other. It's considered a manifestation powerhouse for a few reasons. First, the obvious one, the Sun is in Leo, its domain. Leo being fire energy and having the properties of the Sun is a sign all about willpower and ambition in a way that makes its natives comfortable with the visibility that Bringing those ambitions to fruition often comes with. As always, you can read my thoughts on the season in Witch Musings on Substack. I find it extremely amusing that July 26th is the canon birthday of Gilbert in Piofiore, who is such a perfect example of this aspect of Leo energy and how it differs from other signs that are highly ambitious like <coughs> Capricorn. If you haven't played the game, which you should, it comes out on sale fairly frequently, just think of someone who's either loved or hated for the exact same reason, that is, that he makes his own rules. In fact, if I have enough time, I'm going to circle back to Regulus, the brightest star in Leo. Then we have the fifth star Sirius, who's on top of being the star involved in one of the best Tutapri songs, has the qualities of the planet Jupiter. So it brings with it the expansive energy of abundance and drive to get things done. And then we have Orion the Hunter and Dispelt. 
From an astronomical point of view, Orion has plenty of interest for stargazers, and I will be going into more details when covering the meteor showers for the autumn in that season. Today I will just look at the limited scope of what's involved in the Lion's Gate portal, which is the belt. When looking at the myth of Orion through the lenses of the Lion's Gate portal, we can see some themes emerging. Orion was a giant and a hunter. He is often seen in his hunting a lion, not unlike the tarot card that is associated with the season, which is strength. There are multiple versions of his myth, but the connection to strength is in all of them, especially seen in the Latin attributes to talk about Orion, which is forte, fortissimo, which is also the Italian for strength, by the way. The Roman astrologer Marcus Manilius said of Orion that he will fashion alert minds and agile bodies, souls prompt to respond to duty's call, and hearts which press on unflagging, with unflagging energy in spite of every trial. There's some law coming from us, uh, to us from Egypt and the Middle East that take a different direction, including a connection with Jupiter, but a fair bit of traditions have the theme of the giant. So I'm going to stick with that line of thinking and bring us to the Arabic title of algebra, which means to join broken bones. Close back to the Semitic language root, we find a connection with the Archangel Gabriel, known as the strength of God. But we also have a connection to the myth of Osiris and Iris, who becomes the star Sirius. Whatever angle you look at this constellation, it all goes back to this idea of being capable of great feats by all the heroes of Greek mythology. And again, in Manilus' words from his Astronomica, a son of Orion's will be worth a multitude and will seem to dwell in every quarter of the city. Flying from door to door with the one word of morning greeting, he will enjoy the friendship of all. Now, not all of us are born Gilbert Radford, or we have a child who is born in Leo season, but we can all be sons of Orion during this portal. Which brings me to addressing the elephant in the room of this season. I have not yet touched upon what people can do to actually manifest things into their lives. One reason for it is because it's a very personal thing, and I don't want to end up coming across as prescriptive. Also, some of it overlaps with stuff that I talked about with the moon episode in season one. And as much as I know there are new people coming in every day that did not listen to it, it did not feel like much of a priority. And there is also a lot of stuff on manifestation out there. So really, do I have much to contribute to the conversation if I approach it from the same angle as everyone else? So I'm going to stick to what I love best, which is star magic, and share my own ritual for the portal. But before we move on to look at what things I have learned from trying and error since I started living as a witch, I want to look at Regulus as well as the stars that make up Orion's belt specifically. The belt is the part of the constellation that has three stars in a row, Mintaka, Alnilam and Alnitak. Mintaka, or Delta Orionis in Latin, will be familiar to people who are familiar with star seeds. As, as a fifth star, it's of the nature of Saturn and Mercury and gives good fortune. If you are interested in the star seed connection, I will 
link also to that episode in the show notes. Alnilam, or Epsilon Orionis, is of the nature of Jupiter and Saturn, and it gives fleeting public honors. Finally, Alnita, or Zeta Orionis, is of Jupiter and Saturn also. According to Ptolemy, together with Anilam and some other stars elsewhere in the constellation, it gives a strong and dignified nature and self-confidence, but in its shadow it becomes inconstancy and arrogance, even violence. It brings prosperity in trade, and particularly by traveling or going to trade abroad, but not without dangers. Regulus is not directly involved in the portal, although it is the brightest star in Leo, but it is a fit star. She's a topic I think all cosmic witches should dip their toes in, and if you're not familiar, I have an episode in season two, which I'll drop in the show notes as well, so it's easy for you to find it. Though in that one, I only touch on a very small part of what the fit stars actually are in the whole traditional star magic, but that's a topic for another time. Regulus sits at 29 degrees and 15 minutes of Leo, which makes it conjunct with my midheaven at 29 degrees, 58 minutes. That's something I have only realized now that I was researching this episode, despite writing the newsletter on my blessed midheaven. The Latin name means prince, and royalty is a theme we see in its Chinese, Babylonian and Persian names while the Arabic one translates to the heart of the lion. As a fit star, it has the nature of Mars and Jupiter for Ptolemy, and later authors just kept it to Mars, which I think is a shame. Ptolemy's version makes its natives have a great pride and be grandly liberal, commanding and cosmopolitan. For real rising specifically, when they have this conjunction, they would have a path to rise to military honours, open to them if they so choose. And even in the Marsal interpretation, it is seen as one of the most fortunate stars in the heavens. And the reason I wanted to talk about it, aside from maybe my higher self tuning in from Bali, where she's frolicking with her hot husband on holiday, to make me see the connection, is that I think Regulus is also a good energy to channel into our spells for the portal, without even without this direct connection, because it's still connected through Leo being part of the portal, and even if it wasn't, I think it's connected by thematic association. If you want to use the portal for manifestation, then you want this mighty military general war, but magnanimous king at peace vibe. So for the ritual, I will only share the basic skeleton of it, and you can reference the list of correspondences for the celestial bodies in question, and pick what works for you. And as always, you can just pick your own meaningful correspondences or even do it all in your mind through visualization. Or if it aligns to your worldview, traveling to the astral plane to work with the stars themselves, which I think is kind of cool. And you can do that through meditation or astral projection or lucid dreaming. I separated meditation and visualization because what I'm thinking about is one is conscious daydreamings and the other is reaching the theta brain waves state which is the one just above the deep sleep. You know what you are comfortable and capable of? Um, if you are in a situation where you need to be discreet and can easily be disturbed, then I wanted to reassure you that doing magic with your conscious mind is totally valid too. So, you can cast a circle and charge up energetically however you like, and do ritual cleansing, 
and dress up or not. I tend to do it and would suggest it as being important for both placebo witches and people who work with energetics because for the latter, it's basic protection from entities that you believe are real. For placebo witches, it's of course protection just in case the other group is right, but it also provides a key demarcation from normality that I believe is important in magic, but especially when you are suspending disbelief and getting your brain to be outside of its comfort zone. If you have an altar space, use that. I tend to do my rituals on the floor, partly because I'm a little girl and the floor is the surface closest to the underworld. And in this case, the surface itself will count for one of my elements, which is the earth. So, you need something to symbolize the sun or Leo, the earth, Sirius and Orion's belt. You can use the planetary energies that correspond to the fit stars too. I personally love how Orion's belt has an association with pearls, which are one of my favorite things to wear and also in general. So you'll make your makeshift altar and in your mind or out loud, you literally call upon these energies to support you using whatever kind of invocation you like to use. I tend to think writing your own spells is more powerful, but I have had some powerful rituals where the invocation were either traditional or by someone else involved in the ritual. As in a way, the authors bring their energy to the spell that way, and I felt part of something bigger than myself. I tend to use the same wording I would use for a deity or other spirits that we think of with embodied archetypes, by inviting them into the space to bring their power and wisdom and connect it to my power, so that I may rise to the level of my manifestation, which I then state with the request, and then sit and wait for the energy shifting. I also use music in my rituals, because I like theatrics, and I can perceive a shift in the energy regardless of whether I use music or not. But that wasn't always the case. In the past, before I really attuned myself to energetics, that really helped. And now that I'm attuned to energetics, I'm fine with the possibility it's still a trick of my mind, that things feel warm and fuzzy uh, whenever I take these mindful actions in ritual. It's relaxing and often makes me cry and shift repressed emotion, even if the ritual has nothing to do with the emotions in question. I'll drop a favorite album in the show notes, see if you're kind of like lost on what to look for. It's also a good way to mark time in a witchy way, when you learn the order of the songs, so you don't need timers dragging you out of a meditative space or something if you can't have an open-ended ritual. Once you are Stated the manifestation, there are different ways you can go about it, still within the ritual space, depending on what's available or meaningful to you. You can make a list, you can script what your life will look like when you get it, you can burn or otherwise dispose of the list or the script to symbolize surrendering the process to either the divine or to the process itself. You can make symbols and talismans to remember it, or a spell jar, or charge objects like crystals or actual objects. Have spells attached to clothes and jewels, and yes, my lipsticks. You can do candle magic, burn incense, whatever helps you get in touch with the reality of your manifestation. And I didn't put this down in my notes, but it came to me as I actually recorded it. There's a lot of messaging around in spiritual circles that are about how you should never talk about it as a want or a thing that is outside of you. And I would caution on being too prescriptive around that because not all energy want is the same 
And even if I do believe the words are powerful, if you are coming from a needy energy in the sense that you attach your sense of self-worth to achieving the goals and everything, not using the word want or not speaking the future tense and talking like, thank you universe for sending me the money to go to Japan and thank you universe because my favorite CEO has actually divorced and is in love with me or whatever you want to do because that's one is kind of, yeah, tongue in cheek, give me a break. Anyway, if you don't believe it deep down, you're not thankful to the universe for that thing happening because you are coming from the needy energy that that thing is a separate thing for you and it's not happened. So you need to check your energy before being too prescriptive about the language you use. Anyway, the point of the ritual is to end the ritual being the person who had the thing, which goes back to the energy that I was just talking about. Even if you don't have it yet in the physical reality of your lived experience, you need to embody that energy, not because of the law of attraction saying so or any of the other laws, but because manifestation is ultimately about becoming more of who we are. Unless we're trying to manifest something out of wanting status of approval, we wouldn't want a manifestation it was we did not want ultimately to be the kind of person who is that kind of life. I did a future visioning with holisticism not long ago. I can't remember even mentioned it in, in a previous episode. And my vision of my future self was in Japan on what looked like a holiday or at the very least a day off where I was actually relaxed. And the time when Okita's tomb is open to the public. And so I got to go pay my respects. And you know what was the best part in all of it? That I was relaxed. Which is something I could have right now in my flat in London with the merch and art of this fictional version in a quirky. There is always something deeper and this something deeper is something we crave as much if not more than what we are trying to manifest. And that's what we need to connect to in order to manifest. Not because of any specific reason but because it makes us open to seeing things that we would miss if we had the tunnel vision of being in survival mode because of anxiety and the need to control. It's like a horse with the blinders. They're just going to go ahead, 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 and they have absolutely zero awareness of what's going on around them. That's a very little thing. Anybody who has been around horses knows that they will not notice anything happening outside of the vision in front of them that is blocked. So you are the horse and you have to remove those blockers. You need to be aware of the space around you. And that's what being connected to the energy of being the person that has the thing that you want does. So that's something that's scientifically proven, by the way. If you look at how the amygdala responds to situations perceived as danger, there's a lot of evidence that our brain shuts down the ability to think creatively when we are on a state of high alert. And when we are in that energy of wanting and needing and trying to control what's happening because of what the manifestation means for us, then 
we are giving the amygdala a situation that it's perceived as a danger, the same way that an actual danger would be. You're still going to have the stress hormones and you're still not going to have your brain functioning at its full potential for creative thinking and seeing other possibilities. I digress. But once you have done the things to help you connect with this deeper why and you keep it close to your mind while also not holding too tightly to it, that it becomes an obsession, you can then close the ritual, thanking the energies you called upon and releasing them and the circle. Also, if you want to use planetary energies for manifestation and you can use them for the portal too if you wanted, just because it's the portal it doesn't mean you need to work with the bodies involved in the portal only, you should have a look at whether you have a night chart or a day chart. And this is something I learned from Dana, the self-help witch, because I didn't really think about that before she showed it to me, but I intuitively connected to Jupiter for manifesting because of the whole abundance vibe and it turns out, bad idea. It's not like it's a negative energy, but it's not my astrologically most potent one. To put it in a more practical way, and I'll circle back to the astrological explanation, Jupiter is an active energy, and so I focus on a lot on doing and taking action. But I have a night chart, which means not only I relate more to my moon sign, but my benefit planet is Venus, and the malefic is Mars, the planet of, you guessed, action. And Saturn is my ally, not my foe which is good when you look at how prominent it is in my chart. If you have a day chart, then you identify more with your sun sign. Jupiter is your benefic and Saturn your malefic. And so I say Mercury is your ally. What that made me realize is that the biggest lesson for me was in embracing the Venusian and more quote-unquote feminine way of going about things and releasing control. You may have a different lesson to learn, even with the same sect as me, as that's the technical term. But that's something for you to think about, especially if you aren't new to manifestation and you've done a lot of work and feel like things don't work, even if you see them working for others. That's the place where I've been a lot. And in this three rounds of EFT with a script from Jessica Doman of the Effortless Expansion podcast, it's a less episode, unless she releases something before this comes out tonight, or you listen to this episode much later in time. I'll link it. Anyway, I cried every time I had to say out loud for me in a statement. But I digress again. I don't know. I'm always kind of like vulnerability here and self-deprivation. So, yeah, never mind. I hope this overview has been helpful to get you interested and started with this exciting cosmic holiday that are more things to come in the coming weeks that I'm excited about. But before we say goodbye, it's time for our forecast. Our card this week is the Eight of Cups, which is one of my favorite cards, as I find it really relatable because of the circumstances of my life and how it validates the decision to walk away from something that others perceive as good when you feel like it's just not for you. And that's a good vibe to bring into Leo seasons this week, I think. Especially with Venus going retrograde on the 23rd at 3.33am European time. Before then, we have some trines and oppositions. 
at 3.06 p.m. today, the Sun will be in a trine with Neptune, which is retrograde in his own sign of Pisces, which to me is a good time to direct those compassionate and idealistic energies to yourself instead of others. Later at 10.38 p.m., Mars, now in Virgo, will be opposite Saturn, also retrograde in Pisces. If you feel like you are trapped, then this is the transit that you want to pay attention to. How much of your situation is actually your own doing? At 5.52am on the 22nd, the Sun is in the late degrees of Cancer, opposite Pluto retrograde in, of course, Capricorn, bringing to our attention the places where we might resist change within ourselves. Later in the morning at 8.57, Mercury in Leo is being a trine with Chiron in Aries, which makes it easy to communicate about our core wounds. So if you want to schedule a therapy session, this is the day. On the 23rd, as I said, Venus is going retrograde and within 20 minutes, the Sun will follow her into the sign. This at that day, Chiron will station retrograde 2 at 2.42 p.m. As in Europe, we'll close the day at 11.38 p.m. with Mercury squaring Uranus in Taurus, which brings to our attention the way being chaotic and provocative in the way that gave us the idiom of being mercurial may affect our relationships, which is kind of a great thing to think about as you prepare for returning to work on Monday. And yes, that was sarcasm. I, okay, I'm just like going down with this vibe today. Bear with me. I'll go back to normal then. That's fine. So I'll be back next week with a guest episode I'm really excited about. But until then, keep living in wonder. Thank you for listening to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. A huge thank you to Jenna Sword at Jenna S-O-A-R-D on Instagram for the cover art and Papa Planet for the music. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to be notified when a new one comes out, please subscribe on your platform of choice. And if you really love it, leave a five-star rating and review, which will help me be found by more people who'll enjoy it too. Also, feel free to share it on social media and with anyone you think should give it a shot. You can send your questions and comments to my email, starryskypodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at starryskypodcast. 
And you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter at witchymusings.substack.com where I share reflections and tips about the astrological seasons. Until next time.